Welcome everyone to Mission Driven. Today I'm here with Boyd Melson. He's the Director of Public Relations Consultants for America's Veterans. In 2016, he was um, in charge of the Suicide Prevention Proclamation at Fort Hood. And he's co-written co a movie, um, Wild Deployed. It's a story about boxing and suicide prevention for veterans. Um, so welcome, Boyd. Thank you for being willing to join this conversation in such an important month about suicide prevention and um, you know why, why it's important to you and everything that you've been doing over the past few years. Thank you for having me here and a little bit of housekeeping. Yeah. So I was the keynote speaker for the Suicide Prevention Proclamation at Third Court. I wasn't in charge of it. I, they flew me in to speak and the movie is dedicated to the nonprofit Stop Soldier Suicide. It's, it's not about Stop Soldier Suicide, okay. but I just told you that information. So mm -hmm. I just hope that you even got what you did from it. <laughs> I wrote down as best I could what you said. You did great. <laughs> Thanks, boy. Um, so You're welcome. why, you know, can you go into a little bit of your history? I know that you are a former cadet from West Point and you went on to serve your country. Um, thank you so much for your service on behalf of myself and everyone that's watching this. Um, so describe a little bit about your experiences throughout the years, um, whether at school or beyond when you were, when you were serving. So I'm still serving. I'm a major in the Army Reserve. Uh, I've been in the Reserve now for 12 and uh, almost 12 and a third years and active duty for five years. So I'm almost at 17 and a third. So I'm actually starting to see the tunnel, the light of hitting the 20 years if I want to retire then. That's and, my number. Yeah. And I believe in my I'm going to get picked up for Lieutenant Colonel. That will be my last rank <laughs> that I see before I retire. Yeah. And so my first time suicide in the military was I was assigned to the Army's world-class athlete program and where your mission is to make the Olympic team for the Army's elite year. No, 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 it wasn't the first year. So this would have been, yeah, this was for the 2004 Olympics. And I heard that one of the runners who failed make, fell short making the Olympic team killed himself. All right, so that's not even the traditional reason or rationale why somebody would for serving. It's, it's not the same PTSD of, that's driven from, it's driven, derived from combat and what you've experienced. It's a different form, it's expectations. So that was my first time touching that. And then when I was deployed in Baghdad at a base, about a seven minute helicopter right away, a soldier committed suicide while deployed. And I, have, I haven't known anybody else personally in the military, but a lot of my West Point classmates know a lot. I just called my buddy, who's a Lieutenant Colonel down at Fort Jackson, my big brother. My, my friendship started with him when I was going through the Adjutant General Captain's Career Course, and I brought up about what Stop Soldier Suicide is dedicated to. And he oh. said, I, he said, we just had a soldier here at Fort Jackson kill themselves last week. Army hasn't released this clearly, and then another three at another base took their lives. So it's not going anywhere. And right now with this COVID response, or lack of response rather, to an extent, whatever this type of response is, it's putting us in situations where we're isolated and as humans, we're animals first. So you're isolated, you wanna to try to find 
something to do, and usually to break the monotony, it turns to alcohol. And to deal with trying to escape your reality deals with alcohol or drugs. And then that start and that just helps the cycle keep proliferating. And right right now at West Point, I was just up there. You're not allowed to leave the campus. All the cadets are there and they're not allowed to leave. Freshmen through seniors, leave through firsties. So you have 4,400 kids, 18 through 24, depending on if they were older already when they started. And they're not allowed to leave. They're in tremendous shape. It's 80% men, lots of testosterone, lots of estrogen. Everyone, you know, we're, we're training warriors and leaders. And there's, when you're a junior, there's a play, when you're junior year, you're called a cow. That's your, it, the reason why they call, so you can call a female a cow and get away with it. So it's funny, but this is where they got the term cow. So when West Point first started, you couldn't come home for the first time until winter leave of your junior year. So the phrase, not till the cows come home, that's where that came from. Oh, that's interesting. So there's a club and then a yearling is the sophomore year. So yearling, that's the set of a, a horse or something when it's first year old. And they're also called yucks, young upperclassmen. Because if you're not a freshman, you're an upperclassman. Right. So they have a bar for, for cows and they have a bar for firsties, the cow club and the firstie club. So they have these 4,400 students trapped on an installation, yet they're letting with 80% men and they're allowing the upper two classes to drink and then go right back to the barracks which are the dorms with nothing to do as to, to occupy their minds outside of academics and the stress. And it's just a breeding ground for bad things to happen. These are the things that happen with this, what happens when you have to quarantine or social distance or just really shrink your bubble almost to your nuclear family. Depression sets in. All of a sudden, the things that you've been trying to bury or, or hide, they start coming out. You leave somebody alone long enough, nothing can camouflage them. Absolutely. And I think, I thank you again, too. We talked some time, I don't know if it was March or April for a while, and you said that being in quarantine and being in isolation is similar to being deployed, where every day feels like the last day will be the same as tomorrow. Um, and some coping mechanisms you shared with me, which, you know, I'm not in the army or any kind of service, right? I'm, I'm nobody, essentially. I'm just somebody. You that... are in service. You are in service. I mean, we all serve somebody, right? But it, it was or just something. interesting. I'm sorry? Yeah. Or something or value, like right. you serve. Right. And we all have a, a mission, mission-driven is, mm -hmm. is the idea of this podcast, too, because there's something that drives us. But what was interesting was the, the correlations. And I know this, this whole conversation is about veterans and suicide, but a lot of people, when they're isolated, we are animals, we're social creatures. We need that interaction, that physical touch, um, that conversation in person, not just four by four squares on Zoom. Um, so can you maybe share some tips when people are feeling isolated and borderline depressed, what, what that might look like? You have to find little victories every day and set them up, you have to find something to compete with. When I was deployed, and it was easy for me because I was so used to having to cut weight for a sport, I gave myself the scale 
was my best friend and and I was addicted to it because I would say my goal by Friday if it's Monday is to be this weight from being in shape so every day instead of thinking about how the macro view of how long there is 270 days till I get out of here I have a small little victory to look at to compete with myself for every day and then when I would we finished you know 12 hours on 12 hours off for seven days a week when I go back and like I don't feel like working out today and I go back to my little containerized housing unit which was you know the 18 wheelers they had the big their cargo that was what I lived in everybody had one of those and I get in my room and I like man if I don't work out I have nothing to do I better go where I better compete so thinking about stuff to compete with within myself help time go by finding that pattern every day a routine every day where you almost go into autopilot which stinks you don't really get to express much of yourself but by doing that and having certain markers to compete with time goes by you don't even realize it does you set up the little victories you set up i used to put things off that i know i didn't need so i had something else to do the next day little things i'd go if i went to the the if i needed to get tissues and if i needed to get toothpaste i'd get tissues on monday and i'd get the toothpaste on tuesday it's in the same place it's just a little walk to get to but it gives me little victories to look at for accomplishment and achievement so that time passes you know you set up little markers little i'm gonna have dessert on wednesday at the chow hall but i'm not gonna have it monday or tuesday i'm gonna be disciplined so i can compete something to activate my mind right and those little things but especially your your, your physicality is what we all have in common and everything starts with your fitness. Mm-hmm. Have, you can always, no matter where you are, do something to get in shape. You can stand still and start doing squats. And you can compete with yourself by saying, I'm going to do this many today. Let me see how many I can do by f- four, uh, five days from now. So you got a goal to build up to. And then before you know it, a week went by. Right. Just staying focused on so little small victories go a whole long way when you're stuck in the same day. So, so back to suicide prevention as it relates to veterans. I was reading some stats where I think 20 veterans per day um, killed themselves, and suicide is very preventable in, in the eyes of psychology, right? What, what do you feel um, with the 20 people per day that unfortunately take their own lives? How do you feel that it is preventable? What, what else can be done to bring that number to 19, to 18, to 10, to zero? at any point in time? What does that path look like? The common denominator I've experienced is feeling that you don't have a place or a purpose and you're forgotten. You don't have anyone to connect with and you psych yourself out that things would be better without you. And usually with that, when you're battling those, your finances start to suffer. So you have to lean on your family and then they may not understand you or how to connect with you. So they start dogging you out and giving you a hard time or your interpersonal relationship starts with your romantic relationship with your children and you, they start dogging you out. So it's not, it starts, it's in your, in your being at first, but then it's what you receive from others starts to help you the idea perpetuate that maybe they'd be better off without me. And usually what I find is that, you, or you're not happy with your reality, so you try to escape it. And the best way is through some type, ingesting something mm-hmm. of some sort. And then when you're in that stage, 
the people that love you see you and you really start acting out usually and it goes even further down that way but it's really for help yeah my belief is that it starts with having if every soldier had a plan when they got out i believe that that would help significantly if they had a plan to go back to school if they had a job something to help validate their own worth especially from what they just came from doing something so selfless and then coming back and being looked at especially depending on which state you live in we're a lot more ignorant to military than other environments really messes with your mind of what what the heck did I just do all that for if you're going to treat me this way and then that is a trigger for you but I believe the best way would be if you had a purpose lined up once you got out with a plan with income coming in from that if it's school or if it's a job school to a job or just a job off the bat I think the biggest thing I'm seeing along with not is not having a plan but then also not having someone who you feel understands you it's especially hard I would imagine and I I feel in the reserve and the guard because it's only one week in a month we're around each other so you just come home from deployment and now you're around everybody perfect example I remember I came home and I went to go teach a class subclasses at Equinox I went to go sub a class at Equinox and they just kind of they were, they were unhappy. I saw in the face because their regular instructor wasn't there. And that just seemed to ruin their whole thing and they wanted me to know it. And I remember at the end, I, I remember I'm watching this and I'm about a week home and I just look around. I was like, guys, I know it's really tough because you don't have your instructor and it seems to be ruining your day. I just came home from Iraq after nine months. It's not that bad. And everyone like didn't have anything to say back. So put that in perspective. All I said, I just came home from Iraq. Look at what you're allowing to ruin your day, this 45 minute block. And I don't believe I'm that bad of an instructor, even though I don't give you the format that you are expecting. But how dare you make me feel bad about it because you feel bad. So you're gonna project that onto me. And that's the type of stuff that makes you start evaluating. Look what I was just doing for you. Like I was there, so you didn't have to. Right. And now this is how they act. So that hurts. Right. So those are the types feeling accepted. But I think even more than accepted, maybe initially, is having plan. So you're excited when you come home because you know what your next step is. Right. So what is the typical exit procedure for veterans coming? Oh gosh, if you're coming off active duty. You go through something called ACAPing, A-C-A-P, I don't remember what that stands for, but that's like, it's mandatory briefings you have to go to, like your last six weeks where you get out. So you could have one, three years in, 20, whenever you get out. And they, you go in, they give you all these briefs and then they all these websites to go to. If you need to get a VA, if you need to go see the VA because compensation and pension for injuries or psychological, go to this website, go to this website. So we're in there. I know when I was going through, all I was thinking about is I just want these meetings to be over so I can get at it. I want to get off active duty and, and go home. I'm done with my five years. And that's the mindset for a lot. Now imagine you actually had some traumatic brain injury or you were suffering from PTSD at that time or combat related and you're in there and you're supposed to be and you're, and you're let's say you don't have a college degree, maybe not as well educated and you're supposed to pay attention 
and, and know and write these down, when all you're thinking about is I want to get the heck out of here, right. that's the process. Right. That's the process. So one of the things my brother's prescribing, and he had a, uh, my brother who runs Consultants for America's Veterans, Dr. Rudy Melson, and he's a veteran. We're supposed to be having a meeting. We were supposed to have had it in May, but then this happened. A meeting with the, the four-star commander of each of the branches, Army, Navy, Air Force, and their senior NCO at the Pentagon, my brother and me, so he can, because his idea, so when you're on active duty, annually or biannually, you have to take, it's like an hour anti-terrorism briefing, and then maybe you take something online, accident avoidance, sexual harassment, resiliency, all these things that you have to take. He wants what they're teaching you in those last six weeks, and especially with the VA for how to navigate for your injuries and everything, make that every year you're in, you have to attend that. And I'll tell you what, it'll be the most attended because you get a pension from the VA based off of trauma that your body or your mind may have experienced. Right. Everybody's going to want that. And what's really neat, if you're rated at 10% disabled for how they, their scale, which just about everybody has something from when they serve, you're entitled to something in the VA offers called vocational rehab, where their purpose is to get you a career. But since most soldiers have not gone to college or most military have not, they have to have an a college degree for the career job they want. It's not a job like at, at uh, selling dirty water hot dog on corners of Manhattan. It's a career they're supposed to put you in. So you get to go to school and it's all paid for. And they pay you a housing allowance while you're in school, which leads to the job. Right. 10%. So that's the idea of giving the next step so you're not alone. Mm -hmm. Another challenge, now I, see it's interesting, I live a different experience because I'm pretty well-versed medically, that when I go for care at the VA, the doctors pay close attention because I'm going back and forth with them, with the vernacular and asking questions and so forth. If you look at like, especially the world, the Vietnam age veterans, they, whatever the doctor says goes and they don't ask any questions. So they don't get the care they're really supposed to get. And the doctors, it's almost like an assembly line. They get excited when they get somebody like me coming on and live and vivacious and not this other population. So that's a challenge to us our own health into our own hands. Always. But that's like an American thing. Always expecting somebody else to tell us what to do for our health. Right. And But then we complain when we're not happy with that when we were just as well could have gone to Google all that often physicians like how do you know this and I said it's called Google it's got to read it's not a secret right yeah but I mean to your point also we have to be our own health advocate whether you're a veteran or somebody mm -hmm. in your 60s or somebody in your 20s or 30s or 40s um, mm -hmm. you know your body best and sometimes doctors don't like when you challenge them because mm -hmm. it's confrontational right you're questioning their education, but you do know your body best. And if you know the yeah. vernacular and why not, why not have that conversation? You know, a thing that I've noted also with this suicide population, our, I believe our, our country has not done that good, created an, I, I think our country's creative and not creative, created a narrative that PTSD only applies to soldiers in combat. Right. Not recognizing you're born into trauma. Just going through that canal 
from being all warm and cozy and whatever, and you're shot out into the world, you need to be loved immediately. You think come out crying for no reason? They're not crying in the womb for no reason. You need to be loved for no reason. Everybody alive, if you've been alive long enough, has post-traumatic stress from something they've experienced. A breakup, losing a parent, not getting into the college you want, not making the team that you wanted, if that could affect you that way. And I say this because I've worked over the years with the drug-addicted population, homeless population, not having a father-at-home population, physically disabled population, it's the same thing. It's not the trigger is not because I went to combat. The trigger is feeling isolated inside, sometimes outside you're isolated, feeling isolated inside and not having anybody to understand you and connect with you and feeling desperate that it's never going to change. Right. A lot of times the people that get the drugs is because they want to change it in their mind what their actual reality is, at least temporarily, so they don't have to feel like they suffer. They detach themselves. Right. They're not happy with their life. So I, it's the same. And I, I wish that that narrative was preached more. You know, being, I believe, growing up black in the United States is a traumatic event. Mm -hmm. Even if you grow up in a well-to-do family, it's what you see on TV all the time for people that look like you. Right. It's like Clockwork Orange. I don't have to go through it myself. But if I'm watching it enough, it messes with me. Mm -hmm. I wish... You know, if, if a cop pulled over a veteran and the veteran, a person started freaking out and then it got released, it's a, he's a veteran, he has PTSD, there's going to be a compassion towards him or her. Why can't you apply that to understand that perhaps people of darker colors have PTSD when they see cops getting pulled over for all their fears? Right. And that's why they spaz out. Right. You can offer it to a veteran because you understand because our country's kind of equated PTSD happens only when you get deployed mm -hmm. everyone alive has trauma mm -hmm. everyone and triggers all the time around them so what what is you know going back to my question what's the solution to get it for veterans committing suicide down from 20 to zero or worldwide whatever that number looks like the biggest start is to help them with the plan mm -hmm. hold it grab them by the wrist not pointing at a website I think that's the biggest, a plan for the next step out. Something to earn income so they feel a sense of worth. Right. Or going back to school where they could be challenged. And then along with that, feeling welcomed. You get that in Texas. I bet you Texas is probably, I would imagine, has one of the lower suicide rates. I'm just guessing because I know how they take to us there, us veterans. New York, you get looked at like a leper if you're on the corner and you're a homeless vet and you're asking for money. You get looked at like you're diseased. You must be a lesser person. Oh, you, know, you were in the military. That means you're not smart. You didn't go to college. You're a mess up. People in New York think, I've had people ask me, do you get paid to be in the army? What do you think? Or they'll say, when are you going back to the army? And I was like, that's like saying, when are you going back to the doc to be a doctor? If you're a doctor, you're a doctor 24 hours. Do right. you think in the United States, there's some Game of Thrones giant wall that they lower a drawbridge and that's the army behind the bridge? And like when you say back to the army, what do you mean? 
Do you think, like, have you ever seen anything like that on TV? So what do you think back to the army? Is there like a big building that says army and you go on in? But that's the consciousness. So if, and I live this, so you understand, I'm one. Unfortunately, I have my nuclear family, everybody served, my mother, father, brother, and sister. I'm hearing that from people, but I know how to deal with it differently. A lot of people don't, and they don't have that support back in their own home. It's like a slap in the face. Someone says, you get paid? Yeah, I have a family got to take care of. I'm doing this so you don't have to. You don't know that you think I'm, this is like socialist. Like, I don't, what do I work for? Uh, high fives? You know what I mean? And that hurts when you've seen your buddy right in front of you in anything, in any space who's in the military, perhaps t lose their life or take their life. And then you see somebody not understanding you at all. I think, and the biggest shift happened after Vietnam because that was the first time we weren't embraced when we came home. Right. You know, we lost five zero thousand at Vietnam in the first five years after Vietnam. One hundred thousand took their lives. Five years. I just got goosebumps. Yeah. Since Vietnam, last I remember, I think the number was two hundred and seventy nine thousand veterans have taken their lives. This was as of twenty sixteen. Yeah. So it's well, that's more than we've lost in any war. Oh, except, God forbid, or it looks like it's heading to the war on COVID seems to be heading to that number. Right. But that's more than that number. I just heard suicide. So if the Army has these precautions, and obviously it changes decade to de decade, the help that they offer, you know, former soldiers, um, if that's changing and there's more awareness around it and they have all these programs available to them, is that something that can also translate into the main population? more programs, less stigma. It, it should, but I don't think the, I don't think the narrative has been put out yet. PTSD does nothing, is not a derivative of combat and that's it, that's the only way to get it. So until that discussion starts going on, I think the average person is still gonna stay quiet because they're embarrassed. Right. That's the tough part. And to go in for help, maybe they don't, because maybe they don't even know why they're messed up. Because like, I can't have PTSD. I've never been in the army. Think about what I just said. How do I PTSD? I've never been in the army. Right. Yeah. Did you Did you go through your parent when they had cancer? Yeah. You have PTSD. Mm -hmm. Like every human, you just gotta care about something enough. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that's obviously unfortunate that you have to go through something to have that. Um, I, I feel as though if you can't, you can't take away the bad things in the world, right? Or a parent dying. Um, but having the, the help you need from other relatives or a roommate or a friend, um, just kind of realizing and acknowledging what that looks like. Um, having that training to say, how can I help? What do you need? Have you thought about talking to a professional? Um, you know, we can do that. That's like one small step, but I, I feel like we need something bigger. Well, I think, and I've learned the best way to get into it is not to talk to them about that. Make them feel loved so they understand they trust you and it will come out from them. Just make them feel loved. And I think about this often, the idea of, you know, everyone always says it's better to give than to receive. Yeah. And you just keep giving, giving, giving. Well, the natural tendency, because we're animals first, is you look, well, what do I have to give that I can do, do without? And you always think of something tangible. What do I have? And you start looking at it that way and you have a, a scorecard, a balance sheet. It's like, can I really give this up? Of course we would think tangible. Well, you know what you can always give for free? Hugs. Love. 
Yeah. I wish we can give hugs, but not everyone will let me. Well, not but, right now. <laughs> yeah, or just general. Yeah. But love. Yeah. And what's wonderful about that is, you know, I give you a gift, you use it. I give you a feeling, you always remember it when you think of me. 100%. So that's, that's the big thing there. It's always, it's always something tangible in our minds. No, just, just approach and give them love for no reason. Mm-hmm. And you'd be surprised how people feel safe because they just want to feel safe. And once they feel safe, and part of feeling safe is feeling understood and you won't be judged. Right. And once you feel safe, I believe, you'll start opening up. That's the biggest thing. So what makes someone feel safe? Not being judged and knowing someone will listen and cares about, care about, like genuinely care about them. Right. I always make a point when I call people up, I say, hey, and they go, yeah, before I get, I go first, I love you. And then I get into what I'm going to say, because what if I'm, I'm never going to see him again. And maybe that's what they needed to hear that day that may have saved their life. Yeah. And I know you're authentic when you say it, too. Thank you. So I've asked all the questions I wanted to, Boyd. Is there anything else that you want to talk about for veteran suicide prevention? I know there's so much. You, I just, I just started the smallest denominator. Yeah. Say hello to people when you pass them or smile and don't do it because you're hoping for it back. And if they don't say hello back, don't care. You never did it for them to say hello or smile right. back. You did it because that's who you are. And it's nice being kind to people. And you could have saved that person's life because you know how you have crap going, through, not you personally, yeah. you, you know how we all have crap going through our heads every day, but nobody has any idea. And it could be the most devastating, it could be the most beautiful, nothing. And just that one friendly smile from a stranger gives you a reason why to at least keep going right now. It's a little just smile. a face mask though right now. Yeah. Well, you know what happens? I have these wrinkles here, so you could tell when I'm smiling. <laughs> or scowling. Yeah. yeah. No, it's absolutely important to smile at people. And it does, it changes your day and it changes their day. Um, makes them wonder what you're smiling about, what, what's making you happy. Yeah. And it costs nothing. You know, it costs nothing. And imagine really ingrained in your mindset, you may have saved someone's life that day. Because suicide population feels alone and people are better off without them and nobody cares. Right. I can't hit that. Just smile at somebody or say hello whenever you walk by them and don't do it for them to do it back. And if they don't do it back, don't feel all awkward because right. you smiled and said hello to somebody and they didn't say anything back. Just keep it moving. Mm-hmm. Just keep it moving. Mm-hmm. Pete and Charlie. My left foot, my right foot, probably personal carriers, Pete and Charlie. Just keep it moving. It's like, hey, what's up? Keep it moving. Keep it moving. And you'd be surprised how that sticks with them, even if you don't see them thinking about it. Right. Because we're, we're animals and energy feels energy. And if they have an awkward look on their face or they don't even make eye contact and keep it moving, probably get stuck stuff going on themselves and they're not used to about them for no right. reason. Those are the people that needed them. 100%. So Boyd, I have a question, obviously. Um, are there Maybe. any 
<laughs> are there any organizations or charities that I can link within the video that can benefit either somebody that is going through something mentally right now where they might need some help or um, where people can donate? Sure. StopSoldierSuicide.org. We are the, I just learned, uh, we have, we are the number one veteran orient, affiliated 501c3 in the nation. And our social media following, we engage with two to three million people a month. Wow. Yeah, we're very, very legit. Yeah. And hopefully when this movie comes out, whenever this may be, it's going to become more of a household name to understand that. We got to work ourselves out of business. Right. That's awesome. Thank you, Boyd, for sharing your time with me and all this information. You're awesome. <laughs> um, for everyone that's listening, oh, click on the links below for any information, and I look forward to hearing from you all. Just a reminder that all the thoughts, opinions, and expressions are exclusive to the person and not representative of any company, brand, or organization.